it isn't the cat mowing it though. Oh gosh. One of the podcasts. One of the podcasts. Ouch. Good lord. <laughs> well, hello. Welcome to Supernatural Selection. I'm your host, Gravely Kevin Heyman. With me this week are Mike the Skeptic. Mike, how you doing this week? Uh, almost equally plague-ridden. Awesome. This is what comes <laughs> from like being within licking distance most of the time. Yeah, we, we live together, we work together, yeah, so we, we got, like, you know, the same diseases together. Yep, when we go to the bathroom, it's a double-decker, I go in the tank. Oh, no, God. <laughs> I, I would shoot myself. I not live with that level of, uh, of yeah. uh, sharing with you. Yeah, uh, and, and just a heads up to listeners, you're going to hear a lot of coughing. And we also have Mr. David Davis. David, how are you this week? Uh, doing fairly well. It's like TV week for me because like a whole bunch of shows are back, but we'll talk about oh, yeah. that in the distraction hole. We will. We'll climb down in the hole and talk about that. So, uh, before we get started in the housekeeping department, first off, we do in fact have a YouTube channel and I've been tagging the videos so you can look up Supernatural Selection Podcast and find us on YouTube. Uh, we're close to caught up. We're actually in this year on episode videos. So, hell yeah. Woohoo. Uh, that's exciting. And, uh, the videos have gotten better. You know, we've got like a little overlay thing going with the TVs and like it's, as we introduce ourselves, the voice, you know, the pictures fade in. So that's happening right now if you're watching this on YouTube later. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, besides that. I want to invite everyone once again to join us on the Discord. Head to supernatpod.rocks and click on the Discord link at the top of the page or in the drop-down menu if you're on mobile. Uh, we've got a nice little community going there. We have a lot of fun. We talk about many, many subjects, and just our community is full of really cool folks. Right, guys? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, I can tolerate them. Wow. <laughs> god damn no wow. they're wonderful they're all wonderful and i love Absolutely. every single one of them <laughs> yep and uh lastly don't forget you can advertise with us we have space at the beginning middle and end of each show for adverts so be sure to contact us use the uh contact form on our site again supernatpod.rocks and it is two dollars a spot so that's per episode so pretty cheap and we've got quite the reach at the moment including on youtube so think mm -hmm. about it won't we so <laughs> that being said david i believe you've got an interesting subject for us this week oh i i certainly hope so so um this week i want to start looking at some scenarios about the revelation of alien life and lay out how we might see humanity respond to such a discovery Here's a clue. Not well. Also, I feel like disclosure is like Santa Claus. A lot of people believe in him and they're going to be really let down when it doesn't happen. Or turns mm -hmm. out it's just a drunk guy in a red suit. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, um, this was originally going to be a like episode that looked like three different scenarios ranked by plausibility. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's me scripting it, though. So it inevitably <laughs> ballooned. <laughs> um so Topic um bloat. yeah so some of these scenarios are more plausible than others right. uh specifically i have three scenarios for now that we're going to cover based on their plausibility in a couple of episodes 
Uh, yes, it's me doing another multi-part episode, but I think the topic is worth it. Well, it's, um, a, it's like if it were to happen, it's the most important topic ever ever to happen to humanity. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and call this first scenario Crabs on Mars. That is the best David Bowie album. <laughs> um, so I ended up doing a lot of reading on this, uh, mostly journals and magazine articles. Mm-hmm. Haven't been able to afford many contemporary books on xenobiology and evolutionary theory. Um, but I did my best to grab as many sources as I could. Uh, I ended up filtering them down a bit, and we'll mention the most relevant ones during the episode. I'm not going to have a big list here. I'll write at the top. Right. Like, well, I read this, this, and this. I mean... If I read something, you're going to hear about it, and I'm going to mention it. Yep, so, and there's um, hyperlinks in the show notes. And the thing is, like, every ten things we read, there was, like, another 20 things in the background that we read that kind of helped shape what we're approaching, but it wasn't worth <laughs> listing it, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. that's just how this sort of process works. Um, so, yeah, as always, our sources are listed in the show notes. Right. So... You know, this this crabs on Mars thing, like, this is a bit of a joke on my part. Um, we've joked around on the show before about the concept of carcinization. Now, now what is car- carcinization for those that don't know? Is, is that where, you know, everybody turns into Johnny Carson? <laughs> <laughs> you are you are correct, sir. Or incorrect, I uh, think. So, carcinization <clears throat> is a form of convergent evolution where crustaceans tend to evolve into crab-like forms. Even though they are not from the specific lineage of crabs, inevitably we see the the crab form emerge in right. different lineages. And, and um, before anyone says anything, I just want to throw out there, we know about the South Park joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, crab people. Crab so, people. <clears throat> like, so, like, with any, like, science thing on the internet, it's become a bit of a meme, um... A lot of it due to misunderstanding with some people broadly thinking that everything could evolve into crabs. Right. And we've said for a long time that nature abhors a crab vacuum or a a crab um, if you will. (laughs) You know, Um, when we start having the crab trees, then we really know we've we've hit the crab evolution peak. Yep. Crab right trees. no They're... it's just like you know we have you know even the fruit is crabs now with crab apples yeah. so there you everything's go. on the crab <laughs> so yeah like just flying like, crabs like, like a lot of things it, it, it <clears throat> the meme is like you know okay like crabs keep emerging obviously crabs are the perfect life form we're going to be crabs one day i'm um, okay with that though yeah so the, the thing is is that crustaceans have evolved into crab-like lineages at least three times maybe more Right. Um, and and no, I'm not talking about like five species of crabs, more like five species evolving into crab-like forms. So again, yeah, this is just... Different families becoming crabs. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's bizarre, but I'd argue the crab body plan makes a lot of sense and is pretty successful. Right. You know, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, convergent evolution just kind of works like that, where the environment influences evolution in such a way that, like, specific traits and characteristics that increase the survivability of the species uh, are bred and continue the lineage. So, like, a great example of, like, that convergent evolution here would be, like, bats and birds. Mm-hmm. Entirely separate lineages, but they've evolved similar transportation, uh, and they go about it a bit differently. 
but regardless, well, they're flying animals, you know, with uh, with the birds, the way that their right. fingers work, it's a completely different layout compared to like a bat. Because yeah. if you look at the bat wing, it's, it's basically a just a hand. Yeah. Yeah. With really long, creepy fingers. Yep. Yeah. It's cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. And in, in, in the end, though, the thing we got to realize is everything is either crabs or beetles when you boil it down. Yeah. I mean, every everything on this planet, we're a planet of beetles. And we're not talking about like mammals all of a sudden, you know, becoming crustaceans. Cause yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, Unless you're like Wayne Douglas Barlow. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, like man after man. Oh, and yeah. Sort of no, thing. Yeah. Crab. That's yes. Absolutely. One of my favorite books. Yeah. But there's just Sorry, so many, uh, whatchamacallit, ex, uh, the, you know, bugs, things with exoskeletons. Yeah, yeah you know, like the, we, the, if we were to like phylum. take the entire combined <laughs> biomass of all the animal life on Earth, like mm-hmm. co- complex animals like us and like dogs and cats and that sort of thing, yeah, we would be only, like, yeah, we would be outnumbered by the sheer biomass of just arthropods, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what, that's where I was looking yeah, arthropods. Yeah. Um, they uh, not only that, just you know, by named and discovered species, they are just way outrank. You know, avians and mammals and every, basically vertebrates. All vertebrates are way outnumbered just by this no, sheer number of invertebrates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once they start working <clears throat> together, we're doomed. Yeah. You're not wrong. So apparently, mm-hmm. you know, having a skeleton is okay, but you know. Having your skeleton on the outside mm-hmm. is way better for you know <laughs> yeah no, sheer numbers like, if, like <clears throat> skeleton try exoskeleton yeah but try being a rock full of meat <laughs> <laughs> so you know all of this is to say that when I say like crabs on Mars I'm not meaning we're gonna run to like a literal king crab on the surface of Mars but like rather a species that is an evolutionary model of survivability right is a crab like Entity. Yeah, crabish. Yeah, although I do kind of think that the crab form is probably more ubiquitous in the universe than we might consider. Just call it a hunch, I guess. Like it just—it just makes sense to me looking at like the 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 amount of times that we see the crab-like form emerge, mm-hmm. the absolute like dominance of the arthropod kingdom. It just makes sense that if we were to run into like an alien creature on another world, it would be like a crab. To me. Motherfucker, I have seen teenagers from outer space. I know what a gargant is. <laughs> All right, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, that's our mystery science theater reference for the episode. Yep. So, so getting into like the real topic here. Say we discover life on Mars, something shelled, maybe even like a recognizable arthropod. What the fuck happens then? Well. First off, there's going to be a new series on TLC called Deadliest Catch Mars. <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that. You know what? I would too, to be honest. So so obviously, like, all of my nerd rags have written about just this sort of thing. Like, all, all of, like, my favorite, like, websites and blogs have written about this idea of, like, oh, what if we find life on Mars and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, like, I had about nine articles on this topic alone that I read, and you'll see the ones I used linked here in the notes. But um, one thing that we as a species tend to focus on in the search uh, for life is like a focus on an intelligent species. Like that's just kind of our priority, right? We tend to think like, oh yeah, we want to find that little green man. But 
I'm going to quote from astronomy.com here. Quote, at the first communication with Extraterrestrial Intelligence Conference organized by Carl Sagan in 1971, Sagan reported to the public that it is, quote, not like unlikely that there are civilizations in advance of our own elsewhere in the galaxy and that we have means currently at our disposal to detect them. The radio searches Sagan championed for finding these advanced civilizations have scanned nearly 1,000 stars. However, they found no significant traces of intelligent life. Now, I'm just going to say the connotation of that is more terrifying to me than finding life. And eh. there's a good reason Mike, for that, yeah. which we'll be getting into towards the end here. Right. Mike, you had something? I mean, he, David will probably get into it towards the end, like you <clears throat> said, but <clears throat> I th- it... I don't know. It's it's. I don't take that as you know such a detriment because just the the signal to noise ratio, trying to detect things at these distances. I mean, it it would be like finding a needle in a haystack anyway. Mm-hmm. So sure. the the odds of there could be like you know equivalent radio broadcasting life around all these other planets and we probably wouldn't detect them even yeah. you know if we were looking for it not to mention the fact that <clears throat> our radio you know there's a brief window in human technology i think where radio is that you know intense well not not yeah ubiquitous i guess but it's the word of the day if you look at our radio footprint now it's probably way smaller than it, than used, it used to, to be, be because right. we don't have to broadcast as powerfully because we have better uh, receptors and, you know, with digital uh, broadcasts, they don't have to be as powerful to get a signal lock. Right. So we are, our radio footprint in the galaxy is smaller than it used to be mm-hmm. just because we're not broadcasting. We don't have, you know, as many multi, multi, you know, megawatt, 100 megawatt, gigawatt, you know, broadcasters anymore just because it's not efficient and it's not necessary. Yeah. You know, it it got me thinking, like, my cat is missing her collar right now. I cannot Mm -hmm. find it in my studio apartment. How the fuck am I going to find aliens in the entire universe? (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's my point of comparison there. You personally, it's going to be pretty hard for you to find life in the universe. Yeah, but even if you had a hundred of me with like a billion dollars, I still don't think I'm going to find life in the universe anytime soon. Or that collar. Yeah, or that collar. Or that collar. So, um, um, so you know, that that's the thing. It's like we've been so focused on this search for intelligent life. Like, yeah. that's the, that's the <clears throat> big deal that we're looking for. But <clears throat> it seems to me that the discovery of essentially animal life on another planet is an incredible thing in and of itself. And I'd argue it would be just as likely to fuck with our perception of the universe. I mean, no, no shit. And it's the far more likely outcome. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, yeah. you know, the if you look at the, it's just an odds game. The odds of, you know, there being life, let's just call that, you know, X. The odds of that life evolving into an intelligent state that can, you know, harness and use the electromagnetic spectrum is x you know plus whatever Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a lot more just you know non-intelligent or you know not what we consider intelligent i mean animals are 
pretty intelligent. Yeah. Not technology advanced life forms, then they're gonna be then there are gonna be, you know, ones that harness technology. Just right. it's just yeah. a given that not every planet that has life is gonna have intelligent, you know, us level species. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so so scientists, many scientists have inevitably turned their attention to more basic forms of life. And even then we're stopped right. we're still talking about complex creatures. You know, I would yeah. argue that Dogs. A, a spider is a complex creature. Oh yeah. You know, sure. Multicellular yeah. life forms that has yeah. different types of tissues and, you know, cells that make up organs is you know, complex life. Yeah. Right. So, you know, most of our searches revolve around water as a trace point for life. And while based on our limited understanding of life, it is a pretty good instinct. You know, without water, it's hard to imagine life on Earth, though it isn't impossible. Um, as we understand what life is currently, it is best generated through photosynthetic and catabolic mechanisms which are inherently linked to liquid water. Right. Yeah, I mean, water is the universal solvent, and basically any chemistry that we do at any scale requires water. I mean, it's yeah. just something that's needed. Like, you can you can probably, any product you look at, it had water involved in its mm -hmm. processing right. somewhere along the line. Well, and our, our hydro focus here is going to bite us in the ass later on in the episode. Oh, yeah. Right. So, but I, I'm just not going to get into the weeds here with the science. Um, you know, uh, take a biology class for that fascinating no, stuff. No, you can't make me. <laughs> um, <coughs> I would, so, but I don't want to go into massive debt for going to college. Hey, there right, you right. Go. Well, Ooh. maybe there's a master class or a YouTube video series or something. There so, you go. Try so, Crash so, Course. Yeah, there you go. So, so that means as, as we hunt for life, we have gravitated towards cosmic bodies with signs of liquid water, and inevitably that puts Mars on the list. Right. Because the indication is that Mars had water at some point. Also, it's not Venus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we're all nerds here. Yep. Yep, we all no know doubt. about those observations about Mars's surface and how they appear to have lines like canals or canale as used by 19th century astronomers like Angelo Secchi and Giovanni Schiaparelli. Now, Mike, have you heard about this, the canale phenomenon? Um, not given a name, but, you know, you talk, what, what was that? What is that? I've you okay. Describe it, and I'll say if I. Okay, heard it's it. where during uh, the 19th century, uh, people were observing Mars through telescopes, uh, and they thought there were canals, yeah, there yeah. were shapes, and yeah. there were a lot of people that saw it, and I find that fascinating. And they mapped them out and everything. I feel like we may need to do an episode on that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, there was literally a part in our collective conscious of like the late 19th, early 20th century where we knew there was life on Mars because we saw their, their canals. Right. Like yeah. we, that's why war of the Worlds was such a huge fucking deal because like, Oh shit, they finally came here to get us. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, you know, and, and there also for a long time, there was, you know, thought that there definitely was life on Venus as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause it had clouds. It had clouds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Well, well and then also what, like when we look back at Venus now, it's like, well, like Venus and Earth were quite similar in their early days, so yeah. it is entirely yeah. possible that there may have been life on Venus at one point. Could sure. be. If we could get yeah. anything to survive more than, you know, twenty minutes. Yeah, on yeah. the surface of yeah. actually I, I see I've seen reports that apparently we can do that now. Um it it will take the upcoming generation of heavier lift rockets, but it's not an impossible task, you know, at our current state. It's just oh, cool. more of a matter of, you know, financial will. Yeah. Like tell, that'd be sick as the, hell though, to get there yeah. onto Venus and like have like a permanent observation yeah. rover. Just oh yeah. Tell them the around. Russians are going to do it first. Maybe, maybe they'll find crabs on Venus Ooh. Or, <laughs> or evidence of crabs on Venus, former crabs. Because I doubt they could live there now. Iron <laughs> crabs. <laughs> uh, that that sounds like an enemy in a Kojima game. <laughs> it does. Solid Snake and the Iron Crabs. Anyway, um, you know, for a long time, we fear it, like we as in the collective society yeah. theorized Humans. that they these canals on Mars were the work of engineers, and that led many of us to believe that there were Martians. This is all background radiation to our real point here, of course, but I think it just goes to show we're fucking primed for the idea of living beings existing on Mars, be they like Martian Manhunter or Space Crabs. I love Space Crabs. This is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things we talk about. Weren't the the, uh, Martians of uh, Heinlein also kind of like crustacean-y? Insects. Well, insectoid, you know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's all arthropods. Yeah, they're all they were uh, arthropods. Yeah, yeah. So of course, this was all ruined for us by the Mariner probes back in the 1960s. <laughs> Turns out Mars's surface is drier than Ben Shapiro's wife. Ooh, zing! <laughs> Damn, son. Yeah. Wow. So further, I'm just going to quote Astronomy.com again. Quote. As new up-close data continued to stream in, astrobiologists reluctantly settled on the conclusion that Mars's surface conditions, with high levels of UV radiation, oxidizing percolates on the soil, and a deep chill that's persisted for billions of years, were incompatible with vegetative life as we understand it. Plus, without a thick protective atmosphere, any potential Martian life would be at great risk of some of the most powerful explosions in the cosmos. A gamma-ray burst bombarded the world with life-sterilizing ionizing, uh, ionizing radiation. Yeah. Um, the thing about GBRs is when I first heard about it was in like high school, I think, on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> and I think I had a week-long panic attack. Oh, no, dude. Idea. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, because, yeah. you know, atmospheres are pretty fucking important. Yeah. And when I was a kid, and I'm talking like second grade, and we're learning about because uh, when I was when I was in second grade, it was like prime, like oh the ozone layer sort of thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I was freaked the fuck out about this diminishing <laughs> ozone layer because of shit like this. Yeah. So so you both know why Mars, like why Mars's atmosphere is so thin, right? Uh, I'm going to get into that in a little bit, okay. like one of the Dang. reasons. I yeah. was going to say receding hairline, but okay, we'll wait for the <laughs> actual science. Yeah, and then, of course, Mike, if, if there's another part to it, I would love to hear that. But um, it, it does involve the possibility of life being the reason why Mars's atmosphere is so thin. Oh. Now, I was, um, I was just going to talk about the magnetosphere, but okay. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it, too. <clears> um, <throat> but, you know, uh, so, so gamma ray bursts are pretty common. That's how you get a Hulk. Um, uh-huh. 
if we look at them in the scale of, you know, space-time, right? Um, from yeah, that astronomy.com article, Raul Jimenez, professor of cosmology and theater- theoretical physics at the University of Barcelona, or Barcelona. I was going to say, you also mispronounced Jimenez. Jimenez, uh, yeah, Barcelona. Mentions that every 500 million years or so, there's a good chance that a GRB blasts the ozone layer of Earth. And now I'm going to have another week-long panic attack. Thank you. Right, you know, and 500 million years sounds like a lot of time, but we're talking about, like, deep-scale geologic time here. That's, like, every hour. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're fucked eventually, I'm sure. Well, you know, just just look at it as the sun is randomly firing bullets and you know <laughs> in a three you know 360 degree thing and we just happen to be in the right the wrong place i guess i should say in the, the wrong the, time the, the sun <clears throat> is randomly like firing a microwave at us it just holds the door open and just like okay has a dick so, move so it's the microwave for a minute so, you so know. what you're saying is the the sun is hunter s thompson pretty much yes <laughs> it's just okay. randomly shooting off just, and you know one of these days get him we might get in the way of that. Yep, mm-hmm. Hunter S. Thompson, and we're everything in his house because it's doing this shit, you know, pretty much all the, God. I'd say all the time, but you know, fairly frequently. God it's just it. they're always, thankfully, not in our general direction. Yeah, I don't because care. Because th- that, and it. we have our ozone layer to protect yeah. us. Our precious, yes. precious ozone layer. That I want to, I want to kiss our ozone layer. <laughs> yeah. Except for Australia, so, they're fucked. Oh man. Um, so, so given Mars lacks an atmosphere as robust as the Earth's, the chances of surface life on Mars seem nil. Lack Currently, of surface yes. water doesn't help, and the case uh, it, it, the, the lack of surface water doesn't help the case of Martian crabs either. Right. But caves and layers of soil can hold some options. Plus, we should talk about ice. Vanilla. But yeah, yeah, vanilla ice. Uh, but before that. Let's take a quick break, shall we? All right. So, everyone else, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, the rest of you, go ninja, go ninja, go. Dun, 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 dun. See, that means it's not uh, under pressure. Right. And we're back. So, any thoughts so far on where we're at in this topic? Yes, I think that our continued existence is entirely up to chance, and I picked the wrong year to quit drinking. <laughs> I look at it this way, like, all through your life, none of these uh, dominoes have fallen, so in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not going to fall in your lifetime either. But if it does, mm-hmm. it'll be on my birthday. You know, yeah. here's the fucked up thing about all of this, like, this discussion about, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... When we, when we talk about the Great Filter, it also kind of reminds me of why I'm so anxious about the idea of the sun burning out. <laughs> I'm never it's worried about that. It's not going to affect That's, me. Yeah. It's not going to affect me in any fucking way, but it still terrifies me that the sun will burn out and our world will be burned up and then left cold and abandoned in a dead solar system. Yeah, it, it makes does. me nervous. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's happened before. It'll happen again. I mean, that's why we have time turns. That's why we have, you know, uh, uh, elements higher than, you know, hydrogen. It's because we're cast off of a uh, previous star. (laughs) It's just the universe new game plusing itself. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. That's that's (laughs) really the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 
the the sun our sun though unfortunately <clears throat> is small so small that it won't you know appreciably like explode into a magnificent you know supernova spreading yeah. yeah supernova it's just kind of gonna kind of like blow some layers off and then collapse down it's, into a you know sad brown dwarf that you know oh, like pity party for itself for the rest of eternity oh uh, don't mention brown dwarfs i've got stuff about that coming up oh god damn it okay well <clears throat> to kick off this next section i want to quote human fay jeff goldblum in his <laughs> seminal role of dr ian malcolm in jurassic park life uh finds a way Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would, would so he be saying that as he's re- reclining with his shirt open. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, he was saying that at the dinner. Oh right. Table. Yeah. Yeah. Chili and sea bass, I believe. Well, yeah. Spared no expense. That's a very quotable movie, isn't it? <laughs> um. So science has shown that while Martian life may not be a thing now, it likely was in the past. Yeah. Around. 3.5 billion years ago, you could consider Earth and Mars to be similar regarding their biosphere. Which is but, cool. Mm-hmm, but the cosmos is cruel, and while Earth flourished, Mars apparently declined. Like a conjoined twin. Mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. like in Venture Brothers. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's becoming increasingly accepted that the Mars of billions of years ago was like a warm, wet world. We, so, we don't I, quite I, know for how long, but we do know that the conditions for life were there. Mm-hmm. You were you were going to make a joke about something being warm and wet, Kevin? Yeah, I was going to say, again, completely <laughs> unlike Ben Shapiro's wife. Or, like, or very much like your mom. So, oh, Woo! god damn, son. <laughs> My mom's so, pretty... Never mind. <laughs> uh, I won't get too into the weeds here. Your mom's got to shave that. No! Um, yeah. But I, I am referring to a uh, National Geographic article for this next section that has, you know, an interesting study they reference regarding computational models of ability um, in ancient Mars. Okay. Now, when we talk biospheres here, we're talking about microbial life, and that can be quite hardy. Uh, in the case of Mars's microbes, however, they could have been too successful. Like dun, dun, dun. Like Enron? Mm-hmm. Yes, or- so, <laughs> too big to fail. <laughs> yep. So, from National Geographic, quote, Residing in the planet's briny underworld and shielded from the lethal radiation that bathes the surface, these organisms could have grown in its nooks and fissures, multiplying until their collective heft rivaled Earth's cache of life. Called methogens, oh, methanogens, uh, Mars's microbes would have inhaled atmospheric hydrogen and carbon dioxide and exhaled methane gas, and, in a twist, they might have turned out to be their own worst enemy. So they farted. Well, yeah, and the theory is that these microbes would have consumed the hydrogen of Mars's atmosphere, and without this greenhouse gas, Mars would not have the shielding needed to defend itself from the deep freeze. Like sliced turkey after Thanksgiving in the freezer. <laughs> um, so, so more than likely, such life on Mars would have been short-lived on the cosmic scale, or as evolutionary biologist Dr. Boris Sautere puts it, 
Maybe extinction is the cosmic default of life in the universe. It's not the process of life appearing that is limiting. It's life maintaining itself that is limiting. That's depressing uh, as shit. Right? It's a sobering thought. Um, Now, now Sautere is quick to clarify that while Mars's crust may have once been habitable, it does not guarantee the planet was ever inhabited. So it's like, you know, chances are there was a chance of life. We don't know for sure. It's not a guarantee. The conditions were primed for it. So I have a couple of issues with this. As far as this is my limited knowledge, like I'm not an Mm -hmm. expert. I'll I'll preface it with this. Did you stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night? I could have. Okay. But, um, But from my understanding is that in, in atmospheric hydrogen is not really a thing um in in you know it's what we consider to be close to you know standard temperatures and pressures when at, gaseous hydrogen is very light like so that's why you, we you think filled our, balloons yeah, with yeah, it you think of our atmospheric composition hydrogen's lighter than helium helium mm. is so light that we cannot get it from the atmosphere. You think about, you know, all the helium we release. Well, all that helium actually just drifts all the way out into space because it's so light, it buoys above the atmosphere and just loses itself to space. So any helium we let loose in our atmosphere is never recoverable. Hydrogen is even lighter than that. So Mm -hmm. I cannot think of, and, and this is in Earth's gravity well, in Mars's gravity well, which is even lower, I can't see a scenario where hydrogen is being meaningfully held in a gaseous state, and it's always just going to, you know, diffuse out into space because mm-hmm. Mars is not gravitationally dense enough to hold on to it. Now, see, I'm not an because, expert either because all all our hydrogen we have is locked into other molecules, water, and things mm-hmm. like that. Hydrogen just wants to fuck off into the nether. So, again, we're not scientisticians, so... Like, like, put it to you this way. Us, as as an intelligent species, cannot cannot develop and create a storage solution for hydrogen that is 100% unpermeable. Everything we put hydrogen into gets the fuck out out of it eventually. Really? Yeah, Interesting. Even, even if we chill it down to, you know, liquid hydrogen, it still has a permeability out of it. It's going to go away at some point. It boils off and, you know, there's always going to be, you can't, you know, if you have a, think about it, if you have a container full of liquid, there's always going to be some, you know, gaseous space in there. It's not going to be completely full if you're using that liquid, right? So mm-hmm. that gaseous space, some hydrogen is going to become gases that gaseous hydrogen is going to migrate out of it. Even so, even solid metal, hydrogen will get out of it. Just slips between the uh, the molecular spaces and gets out because hydrogen is such a small molecule. Interesting. It's not even a molecule; it's an atom. It's the smallest atom there is. It's the most basic. Mm-hmm. You know, one. I think believe it's one electron and one uh, proton. Yeah, one proton, one neutron. Right. Well, and it just fucks off everywhere. Well, and what I'm thinking of here is number one, 
this is over like the course of like 3.5 billion well, years yeah so like okay let, let's say that like at one point mars was a warm wet world like your mom yes and um, mm-hmm. there was um you know and then eventually <clears throat> the atmosphere kind of fucks off things get super cold everything goes into underground to the nooks and crannies um you mentioned, like, uh, what was it you were saying about, like, hydrogen and cold temperatures? So, you know, the, the colder the temperature, you know, it becomes liquid. And then it could theoretically hold, but then it's not atmospheric hydrogen, it's just liquid hydrogen. But, you know, that's at, you know, very low temperatures. Right. You know, and the, again, like, I'm just kind of quoting from this yeah, article here written by people who are yeah, much I'm, smarter than I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm not attacking you, I'm just saying this no, article no, sounds no, no. a little weird because i've never heard of anyone you know referring to atmospheric hydrogen but anyway i'm, I'm i don't want to pick nits here and hold up the thing i just thought it was a interesting no no and it, it is interesting and i i would like to like look into more of this idea of like atmospheric hydrogen but maybe, like maybe the, they the meant basic... hydrogen as composed of say you know a hydrocarbon something like that maybe that's what they meant <laughs> but you know the, the the key thing here is that like the life ate itself, yeah. basically. That, that's the main. That's the theory right. here. Theoretically, potential life probably ate itself, um, or it you know, destroyed but, its own environment. Yeah, yeah. Like you other know, species, not, not unlike us. That, that yeah. doesn't sound familiar at all. Like yeah. anything that we are familiar with. No, possibly. Not. Even though even the amoeba are doing it. <laughs> um, you know, but. As our chaotician muse, Dr. Ian Malcolm of Jurassic Park taught us, life is more adaptable than you'd think. Um, Life on Mars may just be obscure. It may be so obscure that it's underground. So, I'm going to quote from National Geographic here again. Jackie Gordiel, a microbiologist, was more bullish on life on Mars than Sauteray. Gordiel's stance is that Sauteray's models are overly conservative and we are not factoring in the extremophile angle. Mm. Quote, There's a whole community of scientists who do nothing but look at life being cut off from the atmospheres, and it exists. It's weird life, it's really cool, and it's certainly applicable to Mars. So let's talk about the X Games of, ex- of organic life here. What do you gents know about extremophiles? Uh, those are the people who have sex on airplanes and in Ubers, right? Oh, no, those are just members of the Mile High Club and the Frequent Rider Club. Ooh, okay. Um, but yeah, like, have, have we heard of extremophiles before? I guarantee you probably have, even yes. if you don't yes, know Yes, we have. Uh, they're like the microbes and stuff they find growing around, like, volcanic vents in the yeah, ocean yeah. or, like, in Antarctica where we didn't think life could exist, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, this is, like, you know, the the definition of, like, oh, these fuckers will survive anything. Right. So, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, our conception of the uh, the adaptability of life exploded as we discovered just how fucking hardy these microbes could be. Right. So, for example, I've included a link to a diagram that shows off some examples of extremophile habitats from a paper titled Living at the Extremes, Extremophiles, and the Limits of Life in a Planetary Context. So I just want to take a look at that diagram with you gentlemen, and let's read off some of these locations here. Okay. So, you know, we have sea ice and permafrost and polar regions. Doesn't seem too extreme, but, like, I mean, I know I couldn't survive. Right, no, I mean, 
I, honestly, if it gets below like 60 degrees, I start getting really uncomfortable. So, you know, we also have cold seeps and mud volcanoes, <laughs> which is a horrifying thought. The idea so, of a mud volcano <laughs> that, that 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 sounds like, you know, taco night at the Mexican restaurant for me. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mud, mud volcanoes are very interesting. Um, Hyper acidic lakes and volcanoes. Acid mine drainage. What the fuck is an what? acid mine drainage? Um, that's when a xenomorph gets a head. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I think there's certain ore that you you can actually like extract through acid, and all that runoff is just collected into pools. Uh huh. Oh, and then yeah, we like pump shit. into the Mississippi River or something, right? No, well, you, you know, know. <laughs> let, let it run off into the ocean. Nobody cares. It's not going to hurt anybody, right? Nope, not a bit. You also have soda lakes and hypersaline lakes. Soda? Like new, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, uh, like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. They have awesome. a whole of it. <laughs> uh, you have nuclear contaminated sites. Yeah, there's like been a, uh, a bacteria or something discovered at Chernobyl that feeds on radiation. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have the, the classic deep sea hydrothermal <laughs> vent. Yep. Not pictured here are the seven layers of Dante's Inferno. Yeah, about the seven but... layer burrito of Dante. <laughs> I'd eat it. So, so yeah, like again, these are very inhospitable places. Yeah. Um, you know, and one of the most iconic and adorable examples of an extremophile is the humble tardigrade. You know what? I love tardigrades, and I wanted to give uh, Encrypt a tar- pet tardigrade in a mailbox rocket ship. <laughs> I can't tell you what I was going to name it because I realized it's a slur, and it's, like, really bad. Well, well, come on. In the early 2000s, when we thought of it, that was, like, you know, edgy and cool. Yeah, when but... When we were, like, 20. Yeah, now it's bad. Now it's just, mm-hmm. you know, way bad. Yeah. Not way bad, but pretty bad. Well... Commonly known as water bears or moss piglets. It's fucking adorable. <laughs> uh, the species is a distant relation to arthropods, having split from that lineage in the distant past. Know what else are arthropods? Fucking crabs. Always with the fucking crabs. I want red lobster now, goddammit. I, I saw a uh, article that posited <laughs> that tardigrades are basically just kind of like mutant worms. They're little worms that, like, grew legs. It's entirely possible. Those things are cool. Um, Anyway. Watch Star Trek Discovery for more on tardigrades. (laughs) Anyway, these tough little boys do the best they can and have some incredible survivability. In the cases of flooding, they'll balloon up to breach the surface for oxygen. That's cool. In mm -hmm, In the case of extreme cold or drought... They will substitute water in their bodies for the sugar trehalose. This sugar does not form crystals when frozen, which is a common problem for animals in extreme cold. Yeah, it's also why cryogenics doesn't fucking work. Trehalose, mm-hmm. isn't that like Donnie Trejo's, you know, preferred sugar? <laughs> I can't wait for that to come out as a cola, trehalose. <laughs> yeah, it sounds kills. like it's a, it's a daiquiri mixer. It does. No, in, so, in the, in the uh, sh- it's not the sugar, it's just the water crystals that are a problem for, you know. No, I know. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's what we're talking about. You know, like, it, you know, it substitutes for the sugar. The sugar doesn't crystallize. Most animals dealing with extreme cold, the, the, the water crystallizes and that's bad. Yes. 
So, you know, tardigrades have been known to survive for over a century in museum samples. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And these cool little guys can also survive in the vacuum of space to a degree. Um, God damn. Yeah, like uh, they, they took tardigrades into space, and if they had UV shielding, they were fine. So that suddenly makes you think, well, what if you stuck a bunch of tardigrades and they hibernated in a rock? So I'm going to speak a little to uh, NASA's... Uh, sterilization techniques here in that mm-hmm. when we send things to other planets we basically we declare that that area where the probes landing is potentially contaminated because nasa even though they take their probes and they bake the fuck out of them and they clean them, you know as good as we possibly can humanly can on the planet and you know make them as sterile as anything can humanly be and launch them and they spend months to years in space you know the vacuum of space we still cannot a hundred percent guarantee that it does not have a contaminant right that when it lands on another planet it will not you know somehow you know spread and can you know throw yeah. off any future yeah. and that and we're gonna talk about that i believe yeah yeah exactly we're actually transitioning into that now so good call, yeah, like, Mike. I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because yeah, that's that's exactly what we're getting into here. Um, the ability of extremophiles to persist in such circumstances, however, raises an important question: What if the life we could find on Mars is what we put there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think you know. I'll let you yeah. tell me when you're done with this thought, and I will. Uh, expunge yeah. upon my what I think. No, no, of course. No, I'm 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 looking forward to it. So the question of exploration and contamination is one we have grown more and more aware of in the centuries following the age of imperialism and that sort of thing. Um we've learned to stop giving blankets laced with smallpox to populations who never had contact with such a virus. <laughs> And we tend to be more careful about invasive species, uh, species such as dogs that likely contributed to the extinction of the dodo. Now, again, this is the dodo's fault for being so goddamn delicious, and I'm going to die on this hill. Until you, <laughs> until we clone the dodo and you get to have KFD. Yeah. Then <laughs> I'll make up my mind. You know, here's the thing, but we only recently, within the past uh, half century or, sh- or so, really began to understand this concept of extremophiles. Right. So, what I'm leading up to here is that if Mars had life recently, we may have already killed it. God damn. <laughs> so, NASA's Viking mission from 1975 to 1983 <coughs> consisted of a pair of probes that landed on Mars first in July of 1976, and then the Viking 2 probe landing a couple of months later in August. Now, um, oh, it was like a month later. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, the mission's goal was simple, to take photos of the Martian surface. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a hugely important mission. Like, I, we still have those photos in textbooks and everything like that. Oh, They're yeah. still very impressive photos. Yeah, no, it was amazing when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it just it's another place out there in the universe. How weird is yeah. that? Yeah. Until we were adults, we didn't have better pictures of the surface of Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Now, decades removed from this achievement, 
we should begin to ask the question of whether we just war of the world's the native life on Mars. God damn so, it. Mm-hmm. From the debris write-up on this possibility titled, Did We Find and Then Accidentally Kill Alien Life on Mars? Rethinking the Viking Missions by Tim McMillan. Shit. Quote, Two of the Viking mission tests, the labeled release experiment and the uh, uh, pyrolytic release experiments, showed evidence of microbial metabolism and organic synthesis, indicating positive signs for the existence of alien life. A third experiment using a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer also detected. Right, I'm not going to. Um, (laughs) Also detected trace chlorinated organics in the Martian soil, offering another significant biosignature for alien life. However, scientists eventually came to dismiss the positive results from the GCMS, concluding the compounds resulted from contamination from Earth-based cleaning agents. The problem is, with these tests, is that we probably drowned Martian life. God damn if it. Martian life had adapted to the dry conditions of the surface, then exposing them to water would be a bad thing. Specifically, quote, What would happen if you poured water over these dry adapted microbes? Dr. Dirk Schultz-Makuk um, questioned. Might we overwhelm them? In technical terms, we would say that we were hyperhydrating them, but in simple terms, it would be more like drowning them. It would be as if an alien spaceship were to find you wandering half-dead in the desert, and your would-be saviors decide, humans need water, let's put the the human in the middle of the ocean to save it. Fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. We done fucked up. Yeah, so our, our Viking missions experiments were the result of our pool of knowledge about the nature of life at the time, and unfortunately, there is a strong possibility that we fucked up in a significant way. We never really accounted for cryptobiotic states at the time. Yeah. So, to me, that also doesn't preclude the theory that no matter how sterile we believe our process is, some hardy little tardigrade or microbe may, in fact, find a way to survive. So... If the Viking probe was the smallpox blanket, some extremophiles on Earth hitching a ride to Mars would be like the dogs and the dodos. So, from a BBC article, Could Humans Have Contaminated Mars with Life? by Christopher Mason, quote, In JPL's clean rooms, we found evidence of microbes that have the potential to be problematic during space missions. These organisms have increased numbers of genes for DNA repair, giving them greater resistance against radiation. They can also form biofilms on surfaces and equipments, can survive desiccation, and thrive in cold environments. It turns out that clean rooms might serve as an evolutionary selection process for the hardiest bugs that then may have a greater chance of surviving a journey to Mars. Shit. So, mm-hmm. so this is a process that we would call forward contamination and not something foreign to human exploration. So, yeah. Thoughts so far. Um so yeah. <laughs> I should have tried to take a drink there. Yeah. Um it's heavy. It's it's a heavy yeah. thing to I mean, think about. It, it, I mean, it's not anything I haven't thought about before and wasn't bringing up before. It's just like right. I'm trying to think of a novel new thing to say. It's yeah, it's 
problematic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's such a it's such a unknowable. Like we, if we knew, you know, what if we knew if we knew we had contaminated it, we can control for that, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. So we can't really. Yeah. We can't. We don't. We don't know whether. We don't know if we did it or not. Yeah. I guess the good news is is that you know, in, as far as these things go, we are not landing our probes so close together. So the odds of say a new probe finding contamination from another probe are low as long as it's far right. away because they're not. You know, we're talking like microbes. There could be wind blown, but not you know and, and also i think i believe if we do like uh you know actual if we can like get better samples of them we can do we can determine where they came from with a what is it i'm trying to remember the terminology for it there's a, there's a way to determine where matter comes from like mm-hmm. do do it's uh I'm blanking on it now, but due to, due to it's, uh, the thing where we do like carbon dating and stuff, it's ISO, it's a, I, I know radio what you iso- mean, I don't, radio isotopes, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. We can, we can just dis- determine like if it's earth or Mars and things like that. Yeah. So maybe we could figure that out, but I don't know. Well, you know and, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. Kevin. I was just going to say that there's never been a time that I can personally think of where humans exploring hasn't ended in death and devastation. And it's good to see our track record still well, yeah, fucking we, stands. Yeah, we, we, we got to, you know, keep those numbers up, right? Yep. Right. Got to murder. You know, you know, the thing is, like, we are learning from all of this. And, of course, future missions are likely to be prepped with that idea in mind. Yeah. I remember seeing something about how we're going to potentially explore Europa by having a probe that sterilizes itself as it goes through the ice. Yeah. yeah um, well, that's what I was thinking of during this is that yeah. they're, they're, they're making plans to not contaminate yeah. Europa because you yeah. know, Europa's kind of the best mm-hmm. uh, hope we have for multicellular life in yeah. the solar system. Like, because we know if we find anything on Mars, if it's if it's still alive, it's more than likely going to be microbes. Yeah. If we find anything still alive on Venus, it's more than likely going to be you know single cell microorganisms. But Europa might have fish. <laughs> yeah, it could have fucking yeah. not whales. I was going to say whales, but more likely fish because whales would have to surface, and there's a big giant kilometer mm-hmm. thick l- well, layer of ice so they can't surface. I'm just going to throw something out there. Why not Zoidberg? Why not crabs? Why, Why not, not crabs? Zoidberg? Oh, they're, they're, I would say if there if there is any life on Europa, it's crabs. There probably aren't fit. You know, it could not be fish, but definitely crabs. Mm-hmm. Crab-like yeah. organisms. CB uh, CLO crab-like organisms. The clo. <laughs> the clo. You know, so so we are learning from this, but, you know, there is that possibility that we're, like, too late and we really fucked up, and that's sad to me. And it, it, it introduces this ethical quandary of, like, should we be allowed to go to these places? God we said run we the can. Risk of, well, um, it would make no landings uh, on Europa, at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But you, know, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it does remind me of the end of 2010, the year we make contact. Yes. Make, yeah, yeah. yeah. All was these roles are for. yours, yeah. But you know, it, it is like a huge ethical question to me about like, we know that this sort of thing can happen. We have a history of it, mm-hmm. and we've discovered that we have microscopic organisms that can survive... Like, I don't want to say practically anything, but I mean, practically anything. Like, so what is our complicity in maintaining life where we find it? Guys, I know what what the problem is. We just wash our hands. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you just wash your fucking hands and then launch it. So I would say that, you know, we are obviously better now at it than we were 50 years ago. Sure. And I'm sure we will continue that streak. So I'm sure at some point in the future, we can at least, we can't guarantee no contamination, but we can at least, yeah. at least you know, mostly Minimize. account for it. Maybe, you know, we can like, before a probe goes out, we can scan it and say, oh, well, it has these, you know, cyanobacteria and stuff. Yeah. And so therefore, if we find these on wherever we send it, we know to discount that. Yeah, it's it's this idea of like reasonable assurances. Like yeah. you can you can justify it by, you know, having these reasonable assurances. And, and I don't think there's kind of a moral imperative to keep these places clean except for the, you know, contamination of data because let's face it, these these kind of dead worlds unless, you know, except for the crabs on Europa, you know, Mars is kind of a dead world. Um, it has no real hope of being better than it is now. So I don't think there's much of a imperative to preserve it as it is. Mm. Um, that seems kind of like uh, bad to say out loud. Yeah, no, no, I, like, I, I like, get uh, what you're going for. There's a spectrum not, of this not stuff. Not imminent domain, but something like that, you know, kind of like imperialistic sounding, but... Um, I mean, one day we may live, have, you know, colonies on Mars. I doubt it. It's, it's, we, it would be better to have colonies in Antarctica than there is on Mars. As mm. much as I hate to say it, I love space, but yeah. Mars is kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's but, harder to live on Mars than it is to live on Antarctica. Like it's harder to live on Mars than it would be to live on the moon. I would say that too. Yeah. Just yeah. further. Yeah, like, um, so, you know, it's just, it's interesting, like, this this has been an interesting subject so far for me, because, like, it yeah. it gives me a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. You know, but what we're going to do now, we're going to take a quick break before we yeah. move into our final topic of what the hell happens if we find what we're looking for. Well, that U2 song's fucked. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So let's just lay out a scenario here. Mm-hmm. Sure. Say we land on Mars, you know, our, our first manned mission, and we drop a drone into a cave system and discover 500 feet below the surface of a colony uh, what appears to be like crabs chowing down on some growth on the walls. What does that mean for us? Food source. Um, <laughs> I mean... I mean, Yay. Like, 
Yeah, no, seriously, I mean, that's, like, amazing, but I've got, like, some negative thoughts of what it's going to do to us, but we'll we'll get to that later. I, I mean, I don't think it'll do anything, like, <laughs> day-to-day, like, people are still going to go to work, people are, you know. Uh, sure, but I, I got thoughts, and I'll get to it yeah. later. It's, well, on the yeah. day-to-day, it's not, not going to make any difference. Like, for science, it'll be, you know, a boon because, you know, we finally have proof there's other life there's like life can exist outside of uh, earth mm-hmm. um maybe some you know religions might have you know a slight crisis but i think they'll be okay they've they've had these before yeah um i, I just don't see it being any different than some of the other discoveries we've had in the last you know 40 years oh you see like the, to me the discovery of life on mars even like microbial examples is to me, it's a huge thing that would radically reshape how we think about the universe and our place in it. Even if it like, it doesn't affect us on a day to day level, yeah. it is a paradigm shift. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it would just, I think it would just like prove what we've already like thought before. Yeah. And you know, even then just that kind of relief or that, that confirmation it's going to have like an effect on how we view things. Um, I, I think it would help us to broaden our minds as to the possibility of life on other worlds. And I'd argue it'd make a case for even more complex forms of life on other planets. I mean, sure. I mean, if it's in one place, it kind of seems like it has to be in others, right? Right. Yeah. Like say, say we find a microbe. Well, that doesn't preclude that we couldn't get like a alien mouse on another planet or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If we find an alien squid in your uh, in Europa. Oh, I hope not. Right. Um. Yeah. You ever see that movie, The Europa Report? No. Okay. Absolutely, you need to watch that movie. It's incredible. But um, you know, say say we find a squid on Europa. That doesn't preclude us from finding, say, like some sort of primate-like creature in the Procyon star cluster or something like that, right? Like sure. it just. Again, it's like, okay, well, I mean, now there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance. Um, The thing that we should also take into account here is that we could also be talking about common ancestry across worlds. Transpermia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So the discovery of two fonts of life in a single solar system would be radical. Even simple fossilized microbes would mean everything to, like, that idea of, like, well, maybe we're all star stuff. Right. in a Vox article titled, Why Scientists Really, Really Want to Know If There Was Ever Life on Mars, which is kind of a funny title to me. <laughs> it's yeah, like, that's well, yeah, not because a they're fucking scientists. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's regarding the current Perseverance <clears throat> mission on Mars, which, you know, Atlanta in 2021. And it highlights this possibility of microbial ancestor. Quote, It's possible, though not guaranteed, if Perseverance finds evidence of past life on Mars, that scientists could determine if it likely shares a common ancestor with life on Earth. Now, have you ever seen Mission to Mars? It kind of delves into this theory in a way that only it can, uh, but it's also saying that uh, we were seeded by Martians on purpose. It's a common thing in pop culture. Yeah, yeah. the Cambrian explosion was caused by Martians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So, you know, we could be dipping into our own origins in that case as, quote, 
If life on Earth and Mars has a common ancestor, then that means possibly life started on one of the planets and was then somehow transported to the other, likely by meteorite. It's possible that life didn't start on Earth, but instead on Mars, or perhaps even somewhere else in space. And we, we of course, know that as transpermia because it's a fun yeah, word. Yeah. <clears throat> or panspermia, however you want mm-hmm. to say it. Mm-hmm. But uh, this would, I feel, have far-reaching ramifications on society. But again, we'll come back to that. I have a diatribe I'm going to go into. And, and we do know for a fact that uh, meteorites have come from Mars. We can... Yeah, no, we... We, we, have, yeah. we have examples of that. That's not a kind of a theory that's a known fact and we're about to go into that i believe yeah I mean, it's interesting that you keep bringing this stuff up <laughs> you know, if, if a rock could come from you know mars and shit can live on a space probe from nasa well you know put two and two together mm-hmm. yeah you know here's the thing in 1996 we thought we found evidence of life on mars right i remember this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah carl zimmer of smithsonian magazine writes quote on August 7th, 1996, reporters, photographers, and television camera operators surged into NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C. The crowd focused not on the row of seated scientists in NASA's auditorium, but on a small, clear plastic box on the table in front of them. Inside the box was a velvet pillow, and nestled on it like a crown jewel was a rock from Mars. Scientists announced that they'd found signs of life inside the meteorite. NASA Administrator Daniel Golden gleefully said it was an unbelievable day. He was far more accurate than he knew. The rock, the researchers explained, had formed 4.5 billion years ago on Mars, where it remained until 16 million years ago, when it was launched into space probably by the impact of an asteroid. The rock wandered the inner solar system until about 13,000 years ago, when it fell to Antarctica. It sat on the ice near Allen Hills until 1984, when snowmobiling geologists scooped it up. You know, so, despite the presence of healthy skepticism, uh, such as that from speaker and paleobiologist J. William Schaff of UCLA, the announcement went worldwide. And then, obviously, Mike, you remember this. Kevin, you remember this, right? Oh, yeah. The, the Mars rock got me very excited that we finally had proof of life elsewhere. And that also made me terrified that the greys were real and they were going to come and abduct me. And, and that made you think that, well, why? wow, that's why your butt hurt all the time. Hey, <laughs> we're, we're not getting into my roids, okay? So, so like, long story short, I'm not going to get into the, 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 the whole detail about this. The whole article from the Smithsonian is fascinating. I really recommend reading it. Um, more or less lines up what we've discussed earlier regarding, like, the Viking program and, like, co- cross-contamination. Um, mm-hmm. The discovery was pretty refutable, and thus it doesn't necessarily have as much of an impact on society. Yeah, like, it's, no. it's a footnote now. Yeah, now didn't it turn out to be naturally formed rock tubes or something along those lines? I, I think it was something. something like that. It wasn't. It was, it was a you know kind of microbe-like structure, and there, I think there was never a conclusive uh, determination about if it was or was not. Yeah, uh, microbial. But there was but, enough of a doubt. Yeah, yeah there, there, there it, is it, some doubt, or yeah. a good bit. I think it's kind of like 50-50. Yeah. You know, so so we're going to wrap up here in a moment, but I want to put this out there. 
as silly as the alien crabs thing is that I've been kind of referring to throughout the episode, mm-hmm. um, I believe the discovery of more complex life in our solar system, such as Europa, is a good sign <sighs> of other intelligent life that can exist out there. Even if all we find are fossils, I still think that's a good indication. Oh, yeah, no. Sure. If, if we just found fossilized life. Yeah. You know, or, you know, fossilized evidence of life, I should say. Mm-hmm. Everywhere um, we go is dead. It, it right. still is, you know, uh, it still is knowledge, and, and mm-hmm. knowledge is helps power. us. God damn it! Say that too. <laughs> um, you know, but but on the other hand, finding fossils may also be a sign that intelligent life is going to be even harder to find thanks to the great filter. Like, so, like what's in the, like what I had in my aquarium or my coffee? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 a metaphor for a reason. Um, so for my best, I, uh, for this, I'm going to do my best to explain the perspective of Oxford's Nick Bostrom as written in his paper, Where Are They? Why I Hope the Search for Extraterrestrial Life Finds Nothing. Wow, you negative fuck. <laughs> right. Um, so what, what do you guys know about the Fermi Paradox? Now, Mike's going to correct me if I'm wrong, I know, but... Isn't that the one that asks why we haven't made contact with aliens yet? Oh, I so I can't remember for sure. I mean, I know I'm familiar with the Fermi paradox, but I'm not about to go on and try to quote it because sure. I can't yeah. remember. Exactly. Yeah, like this is all just like background radiation to our lives here that we yeah. just because this is the kind of stuff we're into. Um, yeah. Like I've always seen it as like the probability of life in the universe is probably better than we think, yet we haven't made contact with it, which is the question. Like, why yeah. haven't we made contact? Right. With it? Mm-hmm. Now, our ex or at least one of the explanations for this conundrum is the great filter theory that before a civilization can emerge as extrasolar. Something prevents it from happening. Uh, War, disease, climate change, whatever. There's probably a Star Trek episode for every conceivable scenario. A few of them are probably in the first season and they Mm -hmm. suck. (laughs) So if the Great Filter exists, then evolutionarily speaking, we can extend back to the cutoff of potential growth of an intelligent species such as the case of the destruction of microbes by eating all the nitrogen in their atmosphere, or being drowned by well-meaning NASA scientists, or even Martian crabs dying off from a combination of extreme cold and radiation. The, the filter takes on many forms, and even, like, I would extend that to the idea of, like, the potential for the emergence of an intelligent species. Right. You know, the filter isn't just wiping out the intelligent species. Right? Um... So that would indicate that it's even harder for life to make it, let alone an intelligent race of lizard, uh, lizard people or tall whites. But, you know, right. hey, we're taking our steps into the stars. We made it, right? Provided mm. we're aware of the filter, we could go extrasolar, right? Uh, maybe. Well, the other thing to think about is that our evolution as a species has been very, very quick, all things considered. Even if you factor in our microbial ancestry, we've not been around long. A few hundred million years. If we factor in collective life on Earth, um, you know, we may feel like we're out of this great filter period. 
but we're probably not. Evolutionarily speaking, in the terms of millions of years, humans and crabs aren't that far off when dealing with the infinite span of time. Yeah. So finding something like a fossilized arthropod on Mars is kind of a disconcerting thing. There's always the chance we can still be filtered easily because, in geologic time, we're the great-grandchildren of the earliest forms of life. Yeah. So, quoting Boston's paper here, quote, What has all this got to do with finding life on Mars? Consider the implications of discovering that life had evolved independently on Mars or some other planet in our solar system. That discovery would suggest that the emergence of life is not a very improbable event. If it happened independently twice here in our own backyard, it must surely have happened millions of other times across the galaxy. That would mean that the Great Filter is less likely to occur in the early life of planets and is therefore more likely still to come. Now I'm going to get put this out there, and this may be one of the most negative things I've ever said on this show. I feel like all life, if it survives and becomes self-aware, also becomes self-destructive, and I think that all life is essentially doomed. Yeah, okay, H.P. Lovecraft. I, I don't buy that because we're not self-destructive. We are, we are uh, selfish and greedy, but I don't think we're self-destructive. Well, we're collectively self-destructive. Mm, no, it's like using we versus the royal we. Mm, I I think, I think we still want some aspect of us to survive, but no. it's we want our aspect, not their yeah. aspect. Well, we're inherently contradictory, which is like a big problem with everything here um, yeah. going on right now. Um, so if we look at the discovery of crabs on Mars in the context of disclosure. A scenario I personally uh, feel to be quite plausible. That's why I started with this one, because I think this is the most plausible scenario. Finding crabs. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we spread crabs across galaxy. Anyway, um, we've already seen examples of skepticism and rationality, such as the case of that 1996 rock, or like the Viking mission of the 1970s. You know, like, okay, well, this rock yeah. looked bio, uh, biological, probably isn't. You know, if there was life on Mars, we may have accidentally killed our samples, that sort of thing. Right. But I think we should also consider those broader implications of geologic time and the ephemeral fragility of life. As for where I see the result of disclosure, in a scenario where we find those crabs on Mars fossilized or not, I see a society torn between boundless optimistic curiosity and the sudden realization that suddenly we're a lot more fragile than we thought. And I think you're, you two kind of having differing, uh, differing perspectives on the issue mm -hmm. is kind of a microcosm of this whole thing that I'm thinking about regarding, like, when we find out that there right. is alien life form. Like, Mike's a little more uh, positive about this situation than yeah, you, Kevin. I don't have a lot of hope left, and I think that proof of life off-planet, be it microbial or a crab, is going to shake the foundations of everything we've ever known, and not really in a good way. I mean, given the current state of society with religious extremism, it'll lead to a holy war and mass suicides or something, and I don't think that humans are equipped to deal with the truth. Not now. 
maybe not ever. And I want to hand this over to Mike so he can get his thoughts out. So you're talking about things that humanity has weathered many times before. There, we're not going to like completely lose our shit. And I f- in fact, I think our modern media has kind of desensitized us to it. I think we're kind of numbed ourselves to, you know, the uh, disclosure. Like, I think if disclosure happens now, I think we are better equipped for it than we were in, say, like the 40s or 50s. Mm. If it happens, people will be like, oh. Well, it's just like that movie. I don't care. Yeah. Or if they fucking leave it in the first place. I I still have to go to work tomorrow. So fuck. I don't give a shit if there's, you know, crabs on Mars. It's not going to help me pay my rent. Exactly. I I think, I think, yes, there are going to be some, some factions that make a big deal about it, whether it, but I also, Kevin, for as pessimistic as you are, you really don't look at the self-centeredness of humans enough and see that they're going to they're, they're only going to spin this for their own gain they're not going to mm-hmm. like have a holy war just because oh there's crabs that means you know my thing you know they're, 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 they're gonna spin it to their own use you're gonna have and, you know, some fucker out there who's gonna say space crabs let's eat them yeah. Well, I mean, that's me, of course. That's my reaction is, hey, we found something on another planet. How does it taste? I, I just think that, you know, people are self-centered enough to not give a shit in the day-to-day. Kevin, remember a co-worker that wondered about the ISS, if they had an office in... On, I, we we had a co-worker that we were really excited about the uh, the, the the SpaceX launch when that, that first when happened. The, the, first, uh, crew, the first crewed SpaceX mission to the International Space Station. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we were... Everybody in the store was excited. We were watching it, like, in the back and coming out and talking about it after it launched successfully. And this girl just goes, why are y'all so excited? Have they got an office up there or something? I think that's 99% of the population. They're just... Maybe, I don't know. They're going to hear there's crabs on Mars, and they're going to be like, yeah, there's crabs in the ocean. Of course there are crabs on Mars. I don't care. And I don't mean this. I got to watch Jersey Shore in the morning. I don't mean this in a real offensive way. I just have a feeling it's going to lead to a lot of dead Southern Baptists. (laughs) I mean, I think there's going to be a... Or... or, I'm not going to say it's going to have no ramifications. Yes, there's going to you're going to have the Heaven's Gate, you know... 2.0 that you know when they find out there's life out there they're gonna just like do something stupid but i think in the grand scheme of things it's going to be another blip maybe but i I don't don't necessarily i don't necessarily know a blip i think that there is going to be because we are talking about like for the day-to-day person look like the it's it's not bomb. it's going to be yeah it's it's going to be interesting but it's not going to be yeah. revolutionary but on a societal basis I, on a scientific basis on our understanding of our role in the universe oh yeah I, no I, I, yeah I scientifically no it's great but I think there have been bigger societal bombshells that have been dropped on us that we have weathered and come out the other side, you know, if not smelling like roses, at least, you know, with 
the very bare minimum of shit stuck to our shoes. Well, 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 yeah, but the thing is, like those things that we've weathered, they still had that like impact on us. That well, yeah, persists. I'm not like, saying that's the, the splitting have no of the atom, for example. I'm just, I'm just saying that they're not going to be society-ending, you know, yeah, uh, existential problems for us. Well, right, more right. of, you know, things that we have to deal with and then get on with shit. Can we agree that the Mormons will be there to hand out copies of the Book of Mormon? Of course. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Oh, the thing is, like, I see validity in what you both are saying. Yeah. And I, I think it's somewhere in the middle where, you know, are we going to have, like, cults? Are we going to have crab cults? Probably. So, um, oh, I already started it, one. Are, it's are called people going to be coming to your liquor store just to, to, to just do their daily thing? Yeah, totally. Um are people like us going to be like freaking out like, oh, my God, it's finally happening? Like, yeah, of course. Um, it, it, that's the thing about like a paradigm shift, though, is yeah. it doesn't have to be like immediately shattering. Yeah, no, it's it's. And, and so this makes me also think of the only and I mean, I'm going to stress here the only quote from Ronald Reagan that I ever agreed with. Was he once give me said, the jelly beans? No, he once said that the only thing that'll bring the world together, as you know, uh, right, a population right, right. would be an extraterrestrial threat. The fact that he said it like three times makes a lot of conspiracy <laughs> well, theories. Well, number yeah. one, his, his brain was mush, so like, of course, he had to repeat himself three times. Oh yeah, but I, I mean, I kind of agree with that. That yeah. you know. We, we would need an external force to actually... This sounds like the end of Watchmen. Yeah. It sounds like the U.S. government is going to start photoshopping guns in the hands of the crabs. <laughs> yep, <laughs> so yep to that's war. it. <laughs> Gotta nuke the crabs of Mars. Gotta nuke, nuke them the before crabs. they nuke us. <laughs> Holy they've shit. Developed, they've developed uh, desert eagles. God, that'd be the first thing, wouldn't it? They just start like photoshopping like guns in the hands or the claws of the crabs. Yep, that's it. <laughs> but uh, Raytheon's got to get paid. Yeah, if y'all ever wonder what's wrong with me, the fact that this stuff is what percolates in my brain all the time with the whole uh, yeah, no society's fucked if we ever find aliens. That's what's wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, there's plenty wrong with you, and that's one of them. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, this was kind of our first dive into the subject. Um, when we revisit this topic of what-if aliens, um, I want to focus on other plausible but slightly less so scenarios. Um, so one example is the event of we receive a signal from an alien species. Um, and that, I think, will kind of get more into the mechanics of, like, okay, well, what happens with the government releasing information and that sort of thing like you know with the crap yeah. thing that's a nasa announcement um right. not as high security i would imagine yeah that that's definitely a if well if they found it they'll probably say something about it but yes, I, a signal maybe a little more controlled of a yeah exposure you know when we do find extraterrestrial crabs and the headlines read mars has crabs there's gonna be a lot of jokes about shampoo uh, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's what we should we, we should each you know we should write out our uh thoughts on what what if we had a signal what what 
Oh, what humanity would do. What would oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We, oh, we no, should no, write no, that absolutely. out for the next one. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that's a definitely approach we'll take. And of course, like I will have research about like, okay, well, what oh, yeah. what plans do the uh, does the government mm-hmm. actually have and that sort of thing. It but, involves um, nukes. Yeah, yeah, no, nukes no matter what. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's it for for this week. And I think it was kind of a, a shorter show, but I, I kind of, I, I think we've said a good chunk of what we need to about we, this subject here. Yeah, I think we've all gotten our uh, our thoughts on the subject out there, and David, you've put together a very good episode in a very short amount of time. I'm really proud of you, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate it. It was, it was a lot so, of fun, and it was one of those things where I was about nine pages in, and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, it's another one of these. <laughs> Yeah, that happens. David yeah. has diarrhea of the fingers. Yeah. Ew, <laughs> gross. Oh, Every time I like press a key, a little squirts out from between the fingernail. <laughs> Ew. That's grody. So, uh, David, thank you again. Next week we'll be back with another weekend weird, I believe, and then I'm going to hit you all with the worst thing I've ever read. So that's that's quite the lofty statement. I mean, like I always say the book I'm reading is the dumbest book I've ever read. But like, I don't know that anything can top the Saturn death cult, but we'll get to that. And here's the thing. Every time you said it's the worst thing you've ever read, it's the worst thing I've ever heard. So you've been consistent. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I'm I'm accurate every time I say it. It's like that scene from uh office space where it's like every time you see me i'm having the worst day i've ever had (laughs) it's like you're you're kind of it's exposure therapy or like putting a frog in a pot of water and increasing the temperature yeah i I worry for me yeah what what are you going to be like in like five years oh you're (laughs) gonna have to commit me oh man that's we need a contract that you guys have to keep going when i've been committed well we'll have to set up a uh a, uh, GoFundMe or Patreon for Kevin's uh, mental. Oh, we've got the Patreon. That's what this is for. Y'all are paying for my therapy. <laughs> Kevin's asylum uh, fees. Yep. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, be sure to hit up our Patreon and support the show if you've been enjoying it. And want to like pay for a padded room and straight jacket for Kevin in you know five <laughs> yeah. to seven years. You know, whichever comes first. The, the yeah. padded room and straight jacket may, in fact, be in our backyard and not actually. We've got a shed. Yeah. Well, we'll you just, just keep them in the shed like uh, Shot of the Dead. I'll get some there old mattresses go. and, you know, I'll make a straight jacket out of like a burlap sack. <laughs> I'm going to tie straps. I'm going to call myself the man potato. We'll strap you to a dolly and, you know, put a thing over your face. You can think you're a Hannibal Lecter. Hello, Clarice. All right, so that's about it for this week. We will see you next time. For everything related to the show, head to supernatpod.rocks. That is supernatpod.rocks. You can find us on social media currently at... uh, Yes, yes, that's right. At supernatpod at weirdo.network on Mastodon. And I also have an account on uh, threads and blue sky but i don't know if those even matter so whatever they may one day they'll probably might not who knows yep. the great filter will let us know <laughs> the, the great social media filter will let us know so until next time everyone stay safe and stay frosty goodbye
Crab people. Crab people. Crab people. Nuke the crabs. <laughs>